Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City Flautist, band director, vocalist, and educator Amber Underwood. We talked to her on November 20th, 2020, about quite a bit during this COVID-19 world we live in. We focused on the October 28th release of her new CD, This Is Me. The album is a touch of her feelings, life's journeys, and an inside look into the person beyond the stage. This Kansas City native has been a presence in the local jazz scene, making a place and a voice for her instrument. She has been entertaining and performing music since the age of eight. She started out on the piano, then moved on to the flute. She's got a great story. Enjoy. How you doing? I'm good. Just eating lunch. Okay, cool. Well, um, I'm going to get you back to where you're going here, so we'll just dive right in. Thank you for taking a minute out. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So let's go ahead and start off here, and I just kind of want to know up front, you have a new album, and it's coming out during a pandemic. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. You know, I feel like um, it was very anticlimactic a little bit for me because this was my debut album, and I expected to do so many different things and wanted to celebrate in certain ways, but was unable to do that just because of the pandemic. But I also felt that it was necessary to not hold on to it and give people music during such a time when we really do need music. So I was able to, um, you know, drop a couple of singles before I dropped the entire album. It basically kept me busy, gave me some something to do during all of this um, even though I can't have like an album release or this or that you know people are now more you know online and searching for music and searching for things to do and searching for concerts and stuff like that so it was kind of um, a silver lining in in all of that kind of being able ha- to release you know something during such a a time like this. This is a uh, very powerful album. There's, there's, there's a lot of it's uh, full of sound. There, there's, there's something that I, I can just you can feel when you when you listen to this album. Talk to me a little yeah. bit about your artistic approach to this album. Man, really, it was kind of just to the beginning was really trying to shut some people up, <laughs> but it it grew from that. You know, some pe- sometimes people get driven because of people telling them what they can and cannot do or, or or things like that. And so I kind of wanted to shut up some of my naysayers and some of the people that thought that they knew me or knew how I played and whatnot. But um, really, I needed to do it for myself. I thought that I was supposed to play a certain way or, or emulate um, other players in a certain way, and it just didn't seem very natural to me. And um, I tried to attempt to do my debut album a couple of times and work with a couple of people, and it just didn't work out that way or it fell through. I was kind of um, a little discouraged, you know. I was like, where do I go from here? I was starting to gain a little bit of um, traction just in my live performances, and people were asking, hey, do you have a CD out? Do you have this? You know, when people start to ask, they're kind of like, well, I need to start working on something. And I really hadn't developed my sound, like what – Amber, who's asking is the sound like. I was playing, you know, other people's stuff, covers, and kind of arranging in my own way, and I really wanted to develop my own sound so people would understand and know that is Amber Underwood. And so that was another reason why I needed to go in and create some material, and I wanted something that wasn't traditional, like uh, live band. I wanted to create authentic, original stuff kind of in the studio one-on-one and really get personal 
and show people this is me and this is how I play, and you either like it or you don't. <laughs> it's kind of um, unapologetic. Let's go back to the beginnings of your life. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, where exactly where you were born and raised and kind of how music became your life. So born and raised here in Kansas City on the Kansas side. Music played a very early part in my life, um, just kind of in the home. My dad played a lot of music all the time in the house. Started playing piano at a very early age. My mom bought a piano and um, always wanted a piano in the house, and I started taking piano about third grade. Um, that was my first instrument. So started young, but it wasn't like something I had to do. I think it was just something that they wanted to incorporate in just building a well-rounded kid, I guess, you know. But I gravitated toward it, and um, and I really liked it. And then after that, I started playing the violin, and then after that, um, I picked up um, the flute, and there was actually an instrument that I didn't want to play. I wanted to play saxophone at the time, but wasn't able to play it at the time, and then just happened to play the flute because my other friends were playing it. And But I was the last person standing. I'm still playing today, and it was something that just came very easy to me and really loved it, and I always knew as a child that I wanted to do something with performing or like an actor or a singer or something where I was entertaining on stage or something, but I just didn't know what that looked like. And now, years later, I guess playing the flute, that's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first live show that you ever saw that made you think that's what you want to do with your life? You know, back in the day, they used to have, um, you know, Michael Jackson would come out with, like, a music video, um, and it would it'd be, like, prime time. Everybody would gather around the TV. It was like, oh, Michael Jackson's coming out with a video. It was, like, a main event. And so I love watching that. I love seeing that. I love watching Prince. I love watching just performers live. And I and I just saw myself in that role. I didn't know what I'd be doing, but I like the pomp and circumstance that comes with being an entertainer, not just being, you know, good at what you do musically, but also entertaining a crowd, like from the hair to the makeup to the clothes to the dancers to the horn section and really interacting from one end of the stage to another and putting on an entire show. So I was really drawn to that and just the reaction to, you know, from people that love them and the performers. And I wanted people to be like that with me. <laughs> so, um, so I just kind of wanted to be just an entertainer. I just didn't know what kind of entertainer and what that was going to look like. But I try to incorporate that in what I'm doing today, even though, I'm a jazz artist, but I kind of like to see me as, like, the Beyonce of the flute. You know, I kind of like to put all that extra other stuff you probably wouldn't get at a typical jazz concert. You've been to Wichita State, Pittsburgh State, and UMKC. What kind of mentors, what kind of influences have you had that have really pushed you forward? Really, I have to start with my, my teacher that I had in middle school, it was, his name is um, Doug Talley. He really kind of got me into um, taking private lessons and doing music camps. So it started there, and then my flute teacher, Dr. Judy Johnson, she really gave me the discipline that I needed to prepare me for college. At Wichita State, Dr. Frances Shelley, she was really kind of my nurturer and taking me to the next level. So this is all building the foundation classically, 
at that time. I was not really nastiness or I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing that. But definitely exploring a lot of different things and what I could do with my instrument. Um, it was toward the end of my undergrad where I kind of wanted to get more into jazz playing. And actually, DeAndre Manning, he's a bassist and drummer here in the city. We went to college together. He was like, hey, Amber, you need to get on this jazz tip. And there was a guitar teacher there, and I was like, yeah. And I was like, huh? You know, straight braided for the symphony. <laughs> and they kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different music. And so I think I was one of the first performance majors to put a jazz piece on their recital, especially the flute player. So um, it kind of started there. got really interested into learning about the music business and how that works, but still hadn't really pursued it. Did got a full ride, basically, to Oklahoma that's not really there in the my bio, but was going to go train, um, got paid to go down there and grad assistantship for the orchestra and all that stuff, and left after a semester. I was like, this isn't for me. Came back home. My dad worked at UMKC, and he was like, you need to get in touch with Bobby, Bobby Watson. He's coming. He's going to be starting the jazz program at UMKC. Maybe you can get into that. So... <laughs> I was basically leaving tons of messages for Bobby Watson. He probably didn't know who I was. Got connected with him, started taking lessons with him, and really started to get onto the jazz scene here in Kansas City. I would definitely say I'm more of a street jazzer than um, a school jazzer, I guess to say. I don't have a degree in jazz performance, so just picked it up off the street, started learning, doing stuff, and I met a lot of mentors that way, Horace Washington, the late Horace Washington, and a lot of other performers I admired, and then finished at UMKC with the Arts Administration and Music Business degree. While I was continuing learning jazz and all that stuff, on the side I went and decided to get uh, another master's in education and teaching. So I wanted to make sure I had all points fulfilled so no one could tell me, no, you can't teach, or no, you can't do this, or no, you can't. I was like, well, actually I can because I have a degree in that, and I can play. So I just wanted to make sure I filled every point of music. <laughs> So um, I would leave Absolutely. have a job. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. So yeah. what do you what do you like the best about being a part of the Kansas City jazz scene? I definitely have to say that there's a lane for everyone, I believe, and I feel like we're a family. You know, at least that's what I feel like. That most of everyone that I've came in contact, we are cheerleaders for each other. We are definitely fans of everyone. I feel like we're everybody's trying to, you know, progress the genre. You know, we're so we've been so stuck in the swing and this. You know, you have your your classic Kansas City jazz swing and stuff like that. But I really do feel like there's another group and another generation of jazzers that are out there that are really trying to do extraordinary things and taking the genre to, you know, different limits that you wouldn't normally see and and. And if you don't seek it out, people might not see it, but there are some really, really, really great, talented musicians that would have any musician in the country run for their money. So I feel like we're an untapped resource. And then when we get out there, people are like, whoa, where'd that come from? You know, so I, I really feel like we feed off each other a lot. You know, that's the thing I think about now with the Freedom Affair and with what Eddie Moore is doing. And, and there's a lot of things that are really kind of starting ahead. And, and what i seen over the years is the jazz is kind of becoming this multi-genre, very rich sound that's not traditional that people are used to. And I think that 
that's one of the things that's very positive and hopeful about what Kansas City's doing. They're kind of leading a new march um, in, in a jazz direction. Um, as far as, like, the recovery is concerned, you know, we've – I never – thought that we would get to the point where we're closing everything down and we're ramping back up again, which is disheartening because mm-hmm. I did a lot of interviews in the beginning and it was things were getting better. But, you know, we're, we're getting to that point right now where we have to really, really kind of think more and more about recovery and getting back to it. There's a lot of clubs and a lot going on in Kansas City. What do you see the recovery for Kansas City being? Oh, man, I really do think that people need to realize that Kansas City is a hub for, for music and art. And so if we let that die, you're letting a piece of Kansas City and the authenticity of Kansas City die with it. And so I really do feel that um, people are so used to and take, I think, take for granted live music and what we have here in Kansas City until it was, until it was gone, until, you know, the pandemic really um, displaced a lot of our musicians, dancers, artists, all of that. And then what I did see was more more yearning for it. And so I think if, if people really, as a recovery to get some of these stages back up and everything, is to really support the music and art, not only just in Kansas City, but in, but in our schools, because I see it dying since I am in, in the public schools, and really uh, embrace what we have and not take for granted. I mean, I'm I'm looking at Nelson Art Gallery. I'm looking at the museums that we have. I'm looking at, you know, even our restaurants and clubs where we're at, you know, we are hanging by a a string just to try to not only have employment for ourselves, but also um, the businesses because we rely on each other. Um, The restaurants rely on the entertainment because we bring, we bring a following and, but we rely on the restaurants and clubs because it gives us a stage. And so we definitely have to make sure that doesn't fall by the wayside. It's very hard to give you a concrete answer on how do we recover from something like this. I think it's, yeah. it's going to take, it's definitely going to take time and people are going to have to realize what's important to them and what's important to their city and how they want their city to look. And I really do think that people care about, I think they care about the arts and our culture and things because that we have a really great scene here. And so um, this is one of the only, I don't want to say only places, but when we were up and popping, you could go see live music seven days a week. You yeah. know, there's a different place in the city or something going on or whatever. So we need to definitely get back with that. And I think we are definitely on some of the top lists for music, art, and culture here. What do you like the best about being a performer, about being a musician? Of course, um, I have my own personal things, but it's really, um, it has opened a lot of doors and and it's given me a platform um, where I can um, really educate through performance. I can teach a lot of things without even opening my mouth through my instrument. Um, I've met so many different people of, you know, all walks of life that I probably wouldn't have ever met. Just holding and being able to play an instrument has definitely put me in rooms that I probably have never would have been or I probably wouldn't have even been considered just because maybe I'm just a, I'm a minority, I'm a female. It has definitely given re- representation to other um, young girls that 
I didn't really see that much as a band leader and as a instrumentalist. Those are the things that I love. And, of course, I mean, I love putting on um, sparkly things and getting all dressed up. And, you know, I like that part of it, too. But really, at the end of the day, just the platform that is given and just having that respect amongst all my music colleagues. You know, I think at the end of the day, we just want to be respected in what we do. So I think that's what would be it. <laughs> You've touched on this, but I think I kind of want to ask more pointedly, what do you hope both audience and musician realizes about this time away from music when we do get back full force, when there is um, a, another America that we're looking at, another place where vaccines exist, and we do actually get back at what it? What silver linings do you hope that both the audience and the musician gets from this? Well, I think the silver lining is really what, what really does matter and what doesn't matter? You know, what is it that brings us joy and happiness and what can we live without? What are the things that um, um, that we realize that, you know, I used to think I needed this in my life, or I need this and this and this, but really we can survive off, off things, little things, you know? And I think the little things are things that you can't necessarily always buy, um, and I think that being able to hear live music and seeing art and watching art or music in front of you gives you such a um, a feeling that you can't buy, you know. It's something that we need. It's, it's something for our soul. Um, it's something that that is created, that is a gift. And and the people that are blessed with that gift are able to do it. We're able to share it with amongst everybody. And I think that's a way that we pull people together. Um, and that's one thing that we're missing right now. Um, I think there's a big divide. And we always seem to come together when it comes um, with when it comes with music or art or dance or something. Um, we all tend to come together. And I think that's what pulls us together. Um, so I really think that hopefully that's what people would see and be able to move forward, you know, to be able to realize the things that you need and what things things are that are not necessary, you know. I know taking this time and quiet time, I know I don't have to get my lashes done every two to three weeks. I don't need that, you know. So I don't need that in my life. You start realizing I don't need a Starbucks every day, you know. That's not going to keep me you know, you start to live without things and you start to realize, like, wow, let me let me kind of hit the reset button. You know, these are the things that makes me happy, you know. So hopefully we can be empathetic toward um, one another and, and really move forward and pass this. That's what I hope. Yeah. So everyone has a perception of you. Everyone has their idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, students. But you're oh. living your life. Who do you think you are? Yeah, I'm really a ho I'm really oh, man. That's a tough, tough question. I just <laughs> I'm just Amber, you know. Um, I'm very private when it comes to my personal life. Um, I I am a I feel like I'm a good friend. I'm a good listener. I can be stubborn at times, but learning to work in on that. <laughs> but I am not the the glitz and glamour of what you would see in, like, some of my pictures or maybe in my music, that's, like, I would say that's kind of a, 
just a part of me. You know, I have I have little, a lot of different parts, and that's kind of what that album is about. This is me because there's a song called Alter Ego. It's very in your face. It's it's kind of ratchet. It's kind of you know club banger. Like that's the side of me. I like to party, whatever. And then there's another side that's very vulnerable, and only the people that are lucky enough that will be able to get to see that part, that side of me. And I think everybody has those sides of themselves. But really, I'm just a down-to-earth, cool girl. I don't like, I actually really don't like a lot of attention on me, you know, in my everyday life. I'm an, I'm an observer. You know, I tend to sit back and observe a lot. And I'm also a, a, I'm a planner. I tend to plan a lot, too. So, um, and I'm content with being with myself. I grew up as an only child, so I don't have to have a lot of people around me to be content. That's who I am, you know. I'm a pretty happy person. If I was to choose a year, um, I would probably say I'm more of like a 70s free bird, <laughs> if you were to describe me. I'm like a free bird, you know. So, yeah, that would probably describe me the best way. Right on. Amber, thank you for taking a minute out. Good luck with the new album. And, you know, I can tell you I've been very active in going out and seeing shows, so I'm missing it pretty hard, and I look forward to Aww. when life gets back. So, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it and give me a voice to be able to talk about some of these things to kind of wipe out some of those misconceptions or whatever people might have thought. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Amber for her time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.